hell of a big bear you killed there. Yep. Parker weighs about 300 pounds. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I, did, I didn't even know it was bear hunting season. What are you, a game warden? Some kind of fed or something? Nah. <laughs> nah, I was, you know, I'm just asking, you know? Just asking. Well, I'll tell you. You see, there aren't too many of these uh, big black fuckers left around here. So when you get a good clear shot at it, sure as hell take it. That's why you shoot them. Because there's not that many left. I don't think I understand your question. You know, there ain't all that many colored people around here, neither. Maybe you ought to get back in your fancy car and go about your own business. Yeah. Maybe you're right. You know, in ancient cultures, bears were considered equal with men. Listen, well, no ancient culture here, mister. Sometimes it is. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language and discussions of an adult nature. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on site! They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 208, and I'm your host, Lee. This ain't no ancient culture here, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. Got the funky, fresh, fly flavor, Harper. How you doing, sir? Indeed I do. Indeed I do. But that's because I didn't take a shower today. That's probably why. <laughs> well, I mean, you wanted to avoid getting assassinated, so yeah, yeah, no, I, I, are, that's really you avoid brushing your teeth. That's how you avoid getting yeah. assassinated, yeah. <laughs> uh and yeah we're doing our last little uh film here for our uh little stay in the 90s before we go back to uh, 1930 uh, next episode but uh we're gonna be looking at jim jeremish's ghost dog the way of the samurai this week uh, but before we get into that uh, we do have a couple comments here so i'll get through them very quickly uh both uh youtube comments and both good ones again. So uh, oh, awesome! That's always nice. Uh, on our Soldier Blue episode, well, maybe it's a good one. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll so see. someone named uh, Rex Mobilegas. Okay. Uh, ignore the giant explosions happening on audio uh, today. Uh, it is. We are recording this on the Fourth of July, and uh, mm-hmm. the world is exploding around me. So you know, it's very I mean, thematic to the film in a way. But I expect it to happen here too pretty soon because I live by a bunch of hillbillies and hillbillies like to shoot off explosives. Any excuse to have, whether it's our fucking Canada day or your fucking independence day, or it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> Whatever. It's the 4th of July somewhere. That's the, yeah. Uh, so Rex mobile gas says on our soldier blue episode, two stars. That's you and me two stars. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe they were rating the movie. Uh, this is my opinion of the movie. Two stars, I guess. Okay. Or uh, I don't know. Whatever. Nice. Yeah. If you ever by chance hear this, uh, Rex, uh, you know, elaborate a little bit. Next yeah. Time. Even if even if it's not pleasant for us, that's at least mm. thing, you know. You know. Commenter uh, Peter Theobald, who's been commenting on a lot of our stuff lately, does a follow up on his Repo Man comment from last week. He says, "I think the last comment I made about the two DVDs that I'd be ordering didn't really work." The Motor Trade, Auto Trade, was for Repo Man, plus uh, my additional order of Fear and Loathing, uh, another Cox-scripted movie 
that I haven't seen, but I'm sure you boys could have a field day dissecting. Yeah, and we're talking about the um, Terry Gilliam Fear and Loathing in mm-hmm. Las Vegas, which Cox, I think, did like the initial script for and then didn't get credit. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah. Terry Gilliam was kind of a dick to people he worked with. I don't believe you. Don't mm. believe you. That seems so uncharacteristic. <laughs> so we don't really have anything to mention that we've uh, watched lately necessarily. You do have something to mention, but you said it was more in the context of the movie. Yeah, I, I watched the first episode of the uh, Wu-Tang and American Saga television show, and I figured that's just going to come up <laughs> because okay. the, the RZA is, is deeply involved in both of these projects. So yeah, uh, we can just kind of slide into that a little bit as we, as we talk about the film. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to play some music and uh, some podcast promos, and we're going to come back with Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Out of my way, dildo! Howdy, folks. Got blood, violence, freaks and nature. You come to the right place. My name is Gary, and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. You're slapped. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One... Never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sun Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Dog, where the samurai? A whole new century is coming, Louis. And Mr. Vargo wants every member of his family to make it a priority to erase this weirdo. This guy is a professional. Going after him could be very dangerous. Better him than you, right, Louis? Every day without fail, one should consider himself as dead. They're gonna whack you, Ghost Dog. If they don't find you, they're gonna whack me instead. Get the message off. If a samurai's head were to be suddenly cut off, he should still be able to perform one more action with certainty. What is that supposed to mean? It's poetry. The poetry of war. I've been expecting you. It all starts with the pad and picture. Again, you were watching this rap session. Once again, on the run, me the black stagger. Ghost dog. Can I hear it? Dig up and bang your head, huh? Ah. And it don't, 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 it don't stop. Uh, written and directed by Jim Jaramush. 
uh, from 1999, and it is starring Forrest Whitaker as Ghost Dog, John Tormey as Louie, Cliff Gorman as Sonny Valerio, Camille Winbush as Perlene, Isaac D. Bancoli? Bancol, maybe? Uh, he must be actually Haitian in real yeah, life. Yeah, I, I looked him up. I looked him up. He is. Um, he plays Raymond. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually did. Uh, go ahead and finish the cast, then we'll come mm-hmm. back a little bit. Okay. Uh, Frank Minucci is Big, Big Angie. Uh, Richard Portnow is Handsome Frank. Uh, Trisha Vesey is uh, Louise Vargo. Henry Silva is Ray Vargo. Gene Ruffini is the old uh, concierge. I, I believe I said that correctly, did I not? Concierge. Concierge. Yeah, concierge. Yeah, I get that fucked up all the time. Frank Adonis is Valerio's bodyguard. Victor Argo is Vinny. Uh, Damon Whitaker, uh, actually Force Kid, as Young Ghost Dog. And uh, Gary Farmer is nobody, kind of <laughs> reprising his role from uh, Dead Man in a way. And the Rizza in a small little cameo as Samurai in Camouflage. We'll just move here to a synopsis from IMDb from someone called Scott Giroux. A hitman who lives by the code of the samurai works for the mafia and finds himself in their crosshairs when his recent job doesn't go according to plan. Now he must find a way to defend himself and his honor while retaining the code he lives by. Yeah, sorta. That's that's kind of yeah. That's the uh, that's the like if you pretend this is an action movie, you know. Yeah. You know, if the black exploitation version of this would be that. That would be the plot. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so this is your. I believe this is your first time seeing this, right? The first time seeing this. I just wanted to bring up Isaac de Bancole. Um, mm-hmm. who is, he is from West Africa. He's from Benin. Oh, okay. His grandparents are from Nigeria. I just kind of found this guy kind of fascinating. I kind of just looked at his uh, Wikipedia page. He's been in quite a bit of stuff. Um, he started acting in 75, but at one point he pursued a master's degree in physics and mathematics. Hmm. He speaks Yoruba, Bambara, English, French, German, and a little bit of Italian. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, this is a guy I definitely am kind of like, we should we should check this out. Apparently he's done uh he he was on in Night on Earth, uh, another Jim Jarmusch film. Mm-hmm. Um he's done some stuff with Nicholas Rogue. I mean, he seems like a really kind of interesting actor. I think we should uh try to revisit some of some of his stuff in the future. So yeah. um yeah. Anyway, he's good. He was he was fun. And uh yeah, let's uh move on into the movie. Yeah, so uh what are your sort of general thoughts on it? Yeah, this was a first time watch for me. It's one that I, you know, another one that I kind of hang on to is like, eventually I'm going to see it and it's going to be great and I'm going to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, uh, this podcast gives me the excuse to do that. I really enjoy this. This would definitely be on my Santa shortlist for the top film of the year, uh, or at least among the top of the year, if it was not this year where we're watching a series <laughs> masterpieces, you know, like so yeah. we will have to see, we'll have to see how high this one ranks for me. Uh, this is going to be a really difficult year in terms of best of the year. Cause usually you get like five that are like, yeah, that's pretty solid. And then, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of drifting on into, you know, but this year we're, I could probably do like a top 30 and it's not going to be a problem. So, you know, Forrest Whitaker, I think is, is phenomenal here. I think this is really, I mean, I hate to say the role he was born for because he's good in so much other stuff, but it really, you really get this sense of that. He is this guy. I mean, I, I think that part of what you run into with a lot of these characters is that they are these kind of like solo kind of gentle giant, uh, you know, warrior characters that you see in films, especially when they're, uh, largely sort of enigmatic. You really don't get a good sense of kind of who they are um, historically. Uh, one of the problems you run into is that the, is that they do just kind of become generic. And I don't think Forrest Whitaker is ever generic here. And I think partly that's the writing around him. I think that they give him enough to do and they let him, they give him enough people to talk to that you get a sense of kind of who he is beyond just sort of enigmatic sar- samurai warrior guy, you know, yeah. But also you get a sense of, uh, I mean, you really do get it from the performance. I, what I really love about this is that it is like, kind of this like low rent movie in a way this doesn't feel like i mean he is this he has this kind of samurai code and he's good at what he does but you don't get the sense that like this is literally like the top paid hitman in the world kind of thing like what like he's a kid who you know kind of has this way of the samurai kind of mentality about him who is uh <laughs> for like this low rent gangster in like jersey city or whatever you mm-hmm. know like this isn't this isn't like you know some, some huge you know kind of yakuza film or something like that and in fact like he kind of practices with his samurai swords and his and his you know stuff and you never really get the sense that like that's not that's not really what he does he's not you, you don't get the sense of like oh this is a guy who's been like trained by the samurai or whatever this is yeah. just a you know this is just a guy kind of playing with 
playing with knives and you know he everybody he kills he kills with a gun and again you don't even get a sense that he's like you know this like master assassin as much as he's just a guy kind of willing to do the job and you know he's got some cleverness about him and he's got some some uh some focus on it but it kind of fits into this low rent world that i think jarmusch creates really well for us where you know the stakes feel really super low and i think that's part of what makes the film kind of work in its own terms is that it it does just kind of feel like this film full of weirdos who are in this like weird kind of like crime syndicate thing and like nothing nothing feels like too overly important except for to the people who are involved in it. Um, but yeah, really, uh, it really happens in a bubble. Like this whole neighborhood yeah. feels like it's totally disconnected and forgotten from the rest of the city or something like that. Right. Cause there's all these, just these weird people and outliers and stuff in there. This is somewhat a, uh, remake of, uh, Melville's Le Samurai to a certain extent. It's, it's more, it's more just wearing its clothes a little bit, you know, kind of, right, yeah. But yeah, Jaramouche sort of creates this, you're right, this sort of low rent, this is all happening within a couple blocks kind of thing. These mobsters are all down on their luck failures. Like all their hoses are up for sale. They're that broke. <laughs> You'll be three months rent, motherfucker. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like renting, uh, they're renting like back rooms and old restaurants and stuff in the yeah, town. Like the like, place, right, yeah, like, you know, yeah. like, and then like we're tough guys and it's like, Oh, you get summoned to like the tough guy who's going to like, you know, whack you. And it's like the three like big bosses are sitting on like a tiny little card table <laughs> in like folding chairs. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, I mean, it does uh, parts of this film do like play as this kind of black comedy, but yeah, it, 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 it works so well because it does kind of hew that line between the sort of the action and the drama and the comedy. And it never really goes kind of too far in one direction to where you feel like you're, you're not, you know, it just kind of masterfully kind of gets at that tone. And I really love that about the film. So yeah. it's, it's like, it's just a, it's own little weird quirky world where it almost feels like it's the last 1990s indie movie almost in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it, it, because it, it it's willing to, take a step off and like look at other people's stories and sort of do it organically and not really sort of stay uh, stuck to, Oh, this has to be a hitman movie where we have to have all the tropes, even though they still bring in a lot of tropes. Yeah. But it, 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 that doesn't feel like that's the focus of it at all. It's much more interested in these mafia characters and just what fucking losers they are. But I have a bit of trivia here for you. You said, you know, the last film, the like the last independent film in the 90s. Mm. This film was released on May 18th, 1999. The very next day in the United States, Star Wars Episode One was released. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in case you want to get from like that, like 90s indie cinema straight up to like, and now the special effects blockbuster has just taken it like the CGI blockbuster movie. Yeah, this this is uh sorry, it, literally I just saw the date and went, oh god, I know that date. Oh, I know that date. So, yeah, no, it, it, there is a kind of end of an era element to this, you know. Yeah, I like how the uh, there's this little motif throughout the film of how all the mafiosos like watching cartoons and like they're almost. <laughs> hypnotically entranced by cartoons. Right. I mean, they just sit and watch it. I mean, at some point they're watching, um, I think, I think the girl, um, Trisha, Trisha, is that her name? Um, uh, uh, no, yeah. Trisha, no, Trisha, Trisha, Trisha Vesey is the actress, Louise, yeah. um, Vargo, who is the uh, young woman who is sleeping with handsome Frank, who mm-hmm. is not very handsome and probably not very Frank either. Um, (laughs) but yeah apparently she's sleeping with him and they're sitting and watching cartoons and then later on you see like well they're all watching like these old school like you know like looney tunes cartoons she's watching not even the simpsons she's watching bits of itchy and scratchy from the simpsons which you know it did strike me as like you know that's probably a big portion of the budget of the film was just you know licensing the simpsons in 1999 well they had uh, yeah they actually like if you look at the cast credits they actually have uh harry shearer is credited there for the voices and everything oh yeah yeah sure yeah yeah yeah. so the thing I, i really like about this is Jeremouche seems to be like I don't know if you interpret it this way or not but uh, the more I watch it the more I sort of get the sense that so he's putting up this samurai code against this dubious you know mafia code of honor kind of thing right, right? sure and 
both of these codes are outdated codes in the modern world, and both of them are actually deeply flawed codes full of bullshit. Uh, <laughs> well, we should we should definitely get into that. I mean, I think you're right about. I mean, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty overt at the end, you know, when um, uh, Ghost Dog is kind of saying to Louie, yeah, you and I are both, we're from opposite ancient clans, which gets into its own <laughs> complicated yeah. thing. Um, we're from we're from opposite ancient clans, and yet we're, you know, we're both sort of this old school thing that's dying out, and yet sometimes the old ways are better, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like kind of like trying to uh, trade down this wisdom to this young girl who he meets and who is, you know, kind of finding um, some value in that. I mean, you know, the, I think I think there really is this this motif. I mean, obviously, there's a motif of books being lent from yeah. one person to another, and like there are the people that read the books, and then there are people that are like gangsters doing gangster shit, right? You watching know, cartoons, watching yeah. cartoons, and it is sort of this this dynamic. And the books that she's reading, she's got Wind of the Willows, mm-hmm. which is you know like a children's book, Mister Toad, and everything. She's got Frankenstein. Yep. Um, she's got. Uh, W.B. Du Bois, um, <laughs> which one? The Soul of Black Folk, uh, yeah. which is like this amazing work of political philosophy and like personal memoir and shit. Like it's an amazing book. I mean, these are the books are very deliberately chosen, you know, where, you know, she's got this kind of this kind of like set of books. And, the, <laughs> and at one point, the, uh, the our guy, um, Raymond. He only speaks French, but he pulls out this French book about bears. Yeah, and, so, and then the brown bear is solitary and lonely, and then it like cuts right to Forrest Whitaker, and it's like, yeah, can this can this metaphor get a little more obvious here? Mm-hmm. And then yes, it does. It turns out that a bunch of rednecks, a couple of rednecks, killed a big brown bear, and then it Not gets even, even a more... big brown bear. They killed like a baby brown bear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like three hundred pounds. Yeah. And, but... um... Not much of these big black fuckers left around here, you know. Right. When you see one, you got to take your shot. And then they literally start calling him in word and all this sort of thing. So it's 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 definitely like kind of one of those moments of, you know, I I feel like it's worth kind of calling out the sort of obviousness of the metaphor, just mm-hmm. because it's so surface level that it's. I think it's. I mean, it's an intentional thing. Like it's designed yeah. to not be subtle, because we're putting this kind of really overt metaphor that's really kind of obvious almost shoehorned in metaphor onto this complete story of dipshittery all around yeah. you know? in which you know ghost dog is clearly the most competent person in the film but that's really not saying much like, no. everybody else is a complete dumb fuck the entire time <laughs> they all die in stupid stupid ways you know? yeah it's, it's just the nature of the beast right you know um yeah and yeah. you know like so I feel like Jarmusch is really interrogating that that whole bullshit of that of that sort of that honor code. And right. yes, uh, Perlene does. You know, she reads Ghost Dog's books and she likes them. But like, I get the feeling that she's smart enough that she's going to learn from those books and not get stuck in those books. The way right, right. Does. Yeah, there's. If you look at if you look at like the uh, like the cast list, it's like uh, you know. There, like Jim Jarmusch's um, Wikipedia page has Ghost Dog Two with two zero and then like question mark question mark as maybe they're gonna make Ghost Dog Two. I would love to see her like twenty years later as you know as that same character and see kind of where she goes with it. With I mean because one of the things that's interesting is that there's this kind of subtle bit where you kind of get the sense of like this isn't one neighborhood. These are like two neighborhoods where you have this kind of like black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then you have this, you know, that's kind of got this kind of more multi-ethnic and then you've got this kind of old Italian gangster neighborhood and are separated by some distance because people in the street know who the fuck ghost dog is, you know, like everyone shows him respect. They show him respect. They know yeah. who he is. The, you know, the, the gangsters are like, this guy's a mystery. Nobody's ever seen him before. And it's like, dude, like walk into his neighborhood. And they're like, Oh, ghost dog, that guy over there, he feeds the pigeons. He carries a briefcase, you know, probably killed some people, you know, like it's the thing. <laughs> and then like everybody in Ghost Dog's neighborhood seems to be like part of this way of the samurai kind of like thing. They're like it, it's full of like martial artists, these like African-American martial artists and shit, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a trope. It is a thing, but it does kind of like demonstrate that there are these different ways of sort of viewing the world and these different like societies that are all sort of like working together in concert to some degree, but are also kind of like very isolated from one another. And you also get that in the language use here because, you know, Ghost Dog only speaks English and his friend Raymond only speaks French. Yeah. 
And Raymond, which was funny when I'm like, he speaks like nine languages in real life. You know, yeah. it's like, I only speak French. I can't speak any other language. And, you know, I even tried Spanish and I just couldn't get it through my head. I just don't have an ear for it. French and Spanish are very similar languages. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, you can't, they're not mutually intelligible, but if you know, if you're fluent in French, you can probably learn like Spanish and Italian. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. fun. Um, <laughs> but then he, they run into this guy building a boat on his roof. Yes. And that guy only speaks Spanish. And so they're all three, but yet they're, they're in this kind of weird world where despite the fact that they can't speak to one another in words, they kind of all understand each other, why they're doing the things that they're doing. And I think there is this kind of like where there's this almost kind of material reality that kind of the substrate that kind of reaches up through the neighborhood. And you're kind of getting this kind of interconnectedness, which also kind of feeds into this sort of, I don't want to be high, you know, this kind of Eastern mystical philosophy kind of idea, right? Yeah, this film really lo- it really loves books. It really loves communication, but it loves coming at communication from weird angles and uh, and then making it work. And that's where a lot of the comedy also comes out too. When he's talking to Raymond, you know, he'll he'll say something, you know, <laughs> I got to go now. And then Raymond, like a minute later, like I guess he's got to go now or whatever, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. it's like oh, the sun's going down. And you probably have to leave soon. And then you know, uh, first worker uh, ghost dog is like. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta leave. The sun's going down. I got work to do. You know, and it's like they, they kind of understand each other in this. Like, I mean, they do this over and over again, where they'll speak the two languages and kind of say the same thing. Like, they understand each other on this very deep level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, a, I think that's such a fun bit of the movie. And it's again such a weird thing because it's not something. I mean, it's not realistic in any sense, but no. it, it does, it does speak to the kind of larger themes of the film. You know, which yeah. you know. Yeah, there is there is kind of a fantastic quality to this in a certain way. Like, there's some elements that you are. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jeremush is. They're not meant to be taken literally, like in a serious way. Like, oh, this would really work in real life, right? But right. When when he kills Sonny Valerio, I mean, uh, first off, that scene is taken directly from uh, one of the old Yakuza films from the right. 1960s, which are very unrealistic they're very hyper and and very uh very stylistic um but when when he shoots up the drain pipe you you can't do that (laughs) (laughs) that's there's not there's not there's not even there's not even an s-trap in that anywhere in that complex (laughs) also like there's just one pipe that feeds right down into (laughs) where yeah this doesn't like it doesn't make any logical sense it's just sort of a cool ass way to kill somebody sort of thing yeah um, you know, and it, it is, you know, it's effective. It really works in the, in the scene because you really don't know. Again, you kind of get the sense that Ghost Dog is, he's kind of feeling his way through this world and he just sort of intuits that, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I can find a pipe where this guy is going to go brush his teeth. And, you know, like there's this sort of like being, being part of the way, being in the way of the world or being kind of drifting along with purpose. And you, you will kind of find your, you know, your, your, um, well, yeah, he's sort of, in its own way, you know, sort of thing. He, he sort of, he sort of walks just on the periphery of, of reality in a way. Cause, uh, like that opening scene where he's walking down the street and he walks by people and none of them see him because they're always just, he, his timing is so good that he's walking past them just as they're turned. Then they turn mm-hmm. around and do something else and they don't see him. You know, this is this nice little setup scene. Like, yeah, this guy's a little, little bit outside of the of the the real world a little bit hard to see even though he's this big burly dude you know like it's it's very cool the way he does it oh yeah no definitely and he's got like these gadgets that he uses he's got the kind of like the the Mm. thing that boosts cars and he's you know he's always kind of listening to uh, he's always listening to cds which seemed like a really fancy thing in 1989 i'm sure yeah you know, he only steals luxury cars with CD players, and now it's like, man, that so dates this film. <laughs> a very particular moment, you know, when he's like carrying around CDs, and you know, it could only be better if he was like carrying around like like if he had like a DVD-R, you know, like spend all the like. I had to burn my mixtape because you know I, I keep I keep leaving leaving the car behind or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> if he had like one of those MP3 CD players, and he had to like you know like click on the little button to like yeah. find the exact track, man, that was an era. But uh, yeah. <laughs> such a small one too, really. When you when you consider like the era of cassette tapes and stuff like that, which sort of lasted a bit longer, the yeah, technology 
technology has moved so quickly now that, you know, MP3 players, CD, stuff like that, it feels like it just went by in a flash. Compared yeah, to- yeah. I mean, basically, at a certain point, it became like, well, the iPod just becomes the thing. And then, like, you're going to plug into a an either audio outlet, you know, and the, the car that I drive is from just a few years after this movie was made. And it's got a plug-in, but like then they just go to like just straight, you know, like USB connectors. And so, you know, now, yeah, the technology technology can change all at once. You just plug in, you plug in your USB, and then just go. <laughs> so, yeah. or Bluetooth. That's even the you know, that's even the more you know kind of modern version. Don't even plug in anymore. You just, yeah, if, if, if they remade Ghost Dog, he'd be he'd have a Bluetooth at this point. He'd yeah. just have like a little fucking headset. While he'd have a little headset that he, you know, like he just kind of walks around and goes like boop boop, you know, and then done. <laughs> I do like that this movie it, it further goes into uh the sort of bullshit mafia code logic too where uh okay so we had our button man go to kill one of our own people and because he killed one of our own people we're going to have to kill him because their honor demands that you know <laughs> and it's also you know a cover up at the same time but it's that that code is just I I love how stupid that is and well it's like you know we hired him to go in and kill but then like he because the girl was there mm-hmm. because like the other guy apparently didn't um, take care of business the way he was supposed to because he fucked up and I'm like well now you have to kill the button man because um, you know people are gonna find out and he never gets like who the fuck is who the fuck cares right yeah. like you never get a sense of like there's this rival crime family that's after them or whatever or that there's some you know it's just like well now we got to kill him because we obey these stupid bullshit rules of they're they're playing gangster at this point because they're, they're looking to invent stuff to do because they've got nothing like they're all these old fat Otis shaped gangsters who have trouble getting up staircases, you know? <laughs> oh, my favorite scene is the one where they climb that fucking staircase <laughs> and they walk out. Is that, is that the guy? Oh, he's not a black guy. Oh, he's not white. No, oh, what is he? What is, what is he? What are you? What are you? Some kind of Indian? What are you? Some, and he's like, you know, I'm shocked tall. Then he goes, he shoots one of the pigeons and he goes, stupid fucking white man. What did you yeah. say to me, motherfucker? <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's pretty oh. great. And they've got at least he's got like that like sawed off shotgun. Like, <laughs> you know, it looks like it's like a hundred years old. Yeah. <laughs> it's like massive fucking gun. And then they find this other guy, you know, like they find this the they find this um this other black guy and they just kill him and it's like, no, I don't think that was the guy. No. This is another kind of set of gangsters, but there is this sense in which these guys they're just fucking around. They're just fuck ups and they're just like kind of leaving bodies in their wake for no for no reason at all. Yeah. I mean, all just like this, all kind of pro forma sort of thing, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is worthwhile. We're uh, kind of talking about like sort of the you know kind of this lost ideology and this sort of like you know what it is. I mean, the uh, the book I looked a little bit into this this um, Hackagure, which mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker is reading, in which we get um, what are presumably quotes from the book in the yes. film, kind of over and over again. And uh, this is sort of the way of the samurai. Well, this um, do you did you ever did you ever look up the history of the book or anything? I, I did. It was it was written during a time when the the the, the samurai class was no longer you know participating in wars it was it was kind of like a a guide for the samurai warrior while he's sitting on his ass with nothing to do basically right. well like the samurai class just sort of like ended they yeah. weren't used in wars after about 1650 something yeah. and then you got this guy who you know kind of becomes a samurai like decades after that and then like in the early 1700s this other guy kind of writes down his like kind of aphorisms and wisdom. And so it is, and like the samurai aren't used in war at all during this. In fact, Japan doesn't even go to war until basically the end of the 19th century. You have almost 200 years in which Japan is, it doesn't, it doesn't go to war. Apparently it was used a lot in world war two. It was very popular. Well, but, it becomes, it becomes yeah. a basis of, uh, this sort of like warrior ideology that leads into uh, Japanese fascism ultimately. Yeah. Um, the Mishima, um, who is quoted even today by um, European and Asian uh, fascists, is, uh, you know, was, was thoroughly inspired by, by this book. And it was, and it becomes like kind of part of the, part of the kind of like ruling ideology. It becomes like kind of the way. So like, it is the sense of which this sort of like a lot of what fascism does is look back at this sort of imagined past of sort of this heroic imagined past. Yeah. And this is exactly what's kind of going on in the writing of the book. And then this sort of is like, well, back in the day we were warriors and we went on and we had our lives and we had this way that we did things but really 
He's just LARPing. He's just bullshitting about this. Yeah. He has no fucking clue because this is decades after the, you know, he's writing like almost a century after the thing ended, right? Or at least like 50, 60 years. And it becomes like his completely forgotten text until it becomes politically useful to use it in the early 20th century. And now you can buy, like, you can find like PDFs of it and everything. I mean, it's, it's, I'll probably read it at some point. It does look, it does look really kind of, kind of interesting in that sense. But it's not like sort of an authentic look at what the samurai life actually was. It's just sort of kind of fake version of that. The other thing that I find interesting is I, you know, and you can find, I did find like a couple of academic texts which talked about sort of the way that the warrior code led to this kind of imperialist, colonialist military in um, Japan in the early 20th century and like connecting like explicitly those two things. So I'll definitely be, uh, that seems really interesting to me. And it seems like something that the filmmaker, that, that Jarmusch is, is well aware of to mm-hmm. some degree. I mean, like, and not just he knows how bullshit this is, but he knows how like toxic this ideology is and this kind of way of living is. And he demonstrates that pretty clearly. I mean, you know, he was, uh, could, could have just wiped this guy out. I mean, he could have gone and had like a lovely life, you know, hanging out with his French speaking buddy and like his newly adopted daughter or whatever, you know, he could have, he could have like gone on and lived his life and not had to live by this bullshit code or like this gangster saved his life once when he was a kid. And now he like owes like ultimate fealty to that when the, when the, when the gangster has no, no obligation back to him because that's the other side of the way that these codes work. Yes. The samurai owes, you know, even this kind of fictionalized version, the, the samurai owes fealty to the Lord or whatever. But the Lord also has responsibility back down towards uh, his retainers, you know, and that's and that's something that like because we are in these different worlds, we come from these different tribes, we're working on these kind of different sets of ideas, we're working on these kind of different codes that there's where that's where the mismatch comes, you know. Yeah, to romanticize the the, the times of our feudal wars in Japan with the uh, with the samurai class, that's it's it's just. It's it's pure fantasy. It's just disgusting because the the samurai class was not something to be allotted as respectable or anything. They they were entitled murderers and abusers of, of, the, of the population, basically. So right, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you know, and it is like, and again, that does kind of speak to. But then yeah, there are all these like kind of great samurai movies. I did. I was kind of itching to watch Seven Samurai. <laughs> you know, well, I, mean, you and I mean, watching uh, this, but that's a different era and that's a different circumstance. You know. And I mean, although Kurosawa in his movies, he interrogates that as well. Like he, yeah. he knows that the samurai thing was bullshit. And I mean, that's why most of his movies end up with like Ronin, like ex samurai wandering the country, getting into yeah. shit and their conflicting values with the growing, you know, like lower classes and the merchant populations and stuff like that, which sort of took over the samurai class. Uh, but yeah. Uh, when we get into Kurosawa, start doing those, then we can talk more about that. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to make that happen. But um, but yeah, no, it was nice. I love the uh, the love the soundtrack here. I love mm-hmm. the uh, the hip hop. I mean, this is I think this is the first time RZA did a um uh, did yeah. a movie score. Yep. Um, and then he kind of goes on. He does a ton of stuff like for Tarantino, and he's done a ton of other uh, movies since then. Again, just to kind of bring it up, this uh, Wu Tang and American Saga, which is a I think a ten episode series on Hulu. My wife and I watched the first episode uh, a few days ago, and uh, you know we we're definitely going to finish it. It's just sort of one of those you really only need one at a time. There's a lot of story, and it's a lot of like kind of you know kind of it's a story of how these kids kind of like find music and they find it but they're in this kind of like drug running business they're in this kind of violent like kind of gang activity or drug activity and they're trying to like kind of find their their way and kind of balancing these two kind of competing ideas of like can we kind of make it as musicians or can we kind of make it as kind of in a legit way or are we just kind of doomed to go off to the to you know to live in this kind of violent world and i feel like there's a a lot of backstory i mean i feel like this is something that you know not just African-Americans, but people in um, impoverished situations around the world. I mean, you know, you talk about like <laughs> hillbillies in Nova Scotia, or hillbillies in Alabama who have to make that same choice of, you know, you know, am I going to, you know, I've got, I've got no other options than either like go off and do crime <laughs> or, uh, you know, go work at the Piggly Wiggly or something, you know, and, and you know, that's not, that's not a very good life, you know, ultimately. No. So I, I after this watch, um, and I've watched this many times, but this time, I sort of came to the conclusion that that there is there's a sort of a secret story going on in this movie that oh, yeah. I don't think's a hundred percent apparent. I think the Luis Vargo character is actually like a the subtle puppet master that actually puts this entire story into play to take over her dad's mafia. 
Yeah, I could see that because like she's just kind of there at the beginning. So why why was it she on the bus? Well, because she knew she had to be, and she's the one like handing off the Rashomon book to Ghost Dog, and so yeah. you know, presumably presumably she's just smarter than all the than all the dip dipshit dudes around her. Well, like she, I like that. Yeah, no, I'm she, I'm with she, you. Yeah, she grew up in this family. She knows the mafia code. She knows that these guys are stuck with the, in this mafia code bullshit and they're going to act a certain way when certain things happen and so she's she wants to take power but i mean uh and then the mafia in this are shown as just super racist and sexist and oh yeah you know they're just throwing slurs around and all that shit all the time so you know there was no way she was going to run the organization unless you know she got everyone in power out of way out of the way so she hooks up with handsome Frank or where the fuck his name is. And, you know, there, she's got no reason to be fucking this dude other than to, you know, there's no yeah. reason to be fucking. <laughs> like, you know. and, and when she, and when ghost dog comes in, she's acting kind of like a scared child almost. And then at the very end, there's a big character change where she's dressed to the nines. She's super serious. She's obviously in charge. She fucking planned this from the beginning. She knew that if she could move Ghost Dog and her dad into certain, you know, places on the board, basically, all this was going to happen and she could just take over. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what this is, actually, in this movie. Reading Rashomon, you know, when he runs across her. And she can, like, you get the sense that, like, maybe maybe she was a little bit more plugged in and kind of knew who Ghost Dog was much more than, like, all the other dipshits around her. Yeah, no, I kind of like that. I kind of like that story. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. I buy that completely. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you watch a movie like 30 times and then like the 31st time you watch it and you get something else. And yeah, something, something clicks into place. Yeah, no, no I, I get it. I get it. I'm what, that's what I love about this movie. Every time I do watch it, I kind of get a little bit of something different I didn't notice before. Like you get subtle little um, hints in the ghost dog's character, like uh, the initial scene in his uh, in his shack up on the roof there by the pigeon coop. It sort of scrolls around his room. And you see like a picture of some woman, possibly his mother, possibly a past love, who knows. But, you know, there's there's something a little bit deeper going on with him. When he's out walking, he passes the cemetery and he blows a kiss to one of the gravestones. You know, yeah. somebody important to him, apparently buried there, you know, kind of thing. Jeremush just sprinkles all these neat little things like and then and, and just funny like visual gags like the f- fucking Sonny Valerio's stupid ass long car. Won't fit in this fucking garage. <laughs> the door's down on the fucking hood. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I love I love just him like carrying that bird seed. The the kids on the corner just kind of going like, "Hey, ghost dog, represent." You know, like it's yeah. it's a it's a cool little moment. Um, like again, again, they know him, and then he sees the like the old man who's about to get like jumped by this by this guy, and it's just like he turns out to be a kung fu master. Yeah, and the guy runs. It's like he just kind of kicks him, and then the guy runs away, and then he goes and picks up all his big bags and everything. It's like, yeah, no, there's there's something really. Um, it's it's like this weird little world, you know. Yeah, he meets up with the Rizza. Apparently, the Rizza is a samurai, just like him. You know, they just sort of meet for a sec. Love and respect, ghost dog, or whatever the fuck he says, and yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's 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 pretty good, and you know, even the um the drain pipe scene, mm-hmm. uh, it's preceded by this bit where it's like you know you can if you run along the uh, the eaves of a building when it's raining, you will still get wet, and you have to accept the fact that you're going to get wet. Like, and if you accept it, it's not that you're not going to get soaked, but you will accept it, and that's the way of the samurai. And then that kind of leads right. into the like. And now I'm going to shoot you through a uh, through a pipe, you know. And there is this kind of like, I mean, the, the, again, like these the, the kind of metaphor feels like really obvious when you just kind of like spill it out there. But I think it's again, it's it's interesting in the way that it, the fact that it's heavy handed just makes you kind of like forced to kind of analyze it even more, kind of overtly, and kind of it kind of forces the clunkiness on you in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I also got a question: like, how how many homeless people are living on roofs in the in this town with pigeon coops? There seems to be a lot. There's a network of um, burly men yeah. <laughs> keeping pigeons on roofs. You know? I almost, I almost wanted like a scene where like uh, Gary Farmer's uh, character uh, sends a pigeon off the ghost dog. Is like they're looking for you or some shit. You know, yeah, yeah, no, no. You, you can imagine. You can imagine. That, I mean, it is like this like communications network. Like this is the uh, this is like the little like the homeless guy internet or this like neighborhood internet. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're communicating back and forth with uh, with all this stuff. You know, ghost like, dog, uh, ghost dog opens up a little message. Stupid fucking white men looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, no, uh, I can. I can just imagine. Like they have like potluck dinners, you know, the first Sunday of every month or something, you know. Although so, I guess. Uh, ghost dog he's really taking a fucking chance sleeping in the open near a pigeon coop you know like just falling asleep for the day like you're getting a lot of shit on you i don't i don't yeah, care no, this, is, this is the way this is the way this is how it goes you know like yeah no. um yeah no and uh, there's also like this thing of like you know you kind of learn in the backstory that he's only been doing this for four years you know mm. and he's only he's done like 12 perfect hits like that's the thing like this is my guy and he's killed like three people a year for four years. You know? yeah. This makes him like he's the master. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of just again, just more that like just how low rent and how like nobody gives a fuck about this. You know, the Go- whole thing yeah, is, yeah. You know, Ghost Dog does his, you know, his, his elusiveness is his PR basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He makes himself more mysterious than he really is. <laughs> I just love that, like there's a there's a carrier pigeon that shows up every fucking day. So oh. Ghost Dog is like carrying a carrier pigeon up there every day, what and they of... never and they never bothered to track him in four yeah. years. And he's only done twelve jobs, so he's been there like a thousand times and like twelve messages. It's... I, I gotta wonder, like Ghost Ghost Dog doesn't talk a lot or anything like that, but he's sending a carrier pigeon every day with a message or whatever. What the fuck do they talk about for all the time he doesn't do any jobs? You know, like, well, he's he's playing chess with um, his buddy, uh, the French speaking buddy. So maybe yeah, Raymond. maybe he's uh, like um, uh, trading, uh, like like maybe he's playing checkers or something. They're playing Parcheesi through carrier pigeon. <laughs> um. I gotta say, I, I think one of my favorite scenes in this though is, and then it's 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 both like it's kind of darkly comedic and also just like really tense and serious. Is the where they where they bring um, Louis in and sit him down in front of the mob bosses? Oh and, yeah, oh, Henry yeah. Silva. And every time Henry Silva has a great line, they do a close up of him to say it. You know, and he, you get you get that full Henry Silva skull face. Fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, he's like. Louis like at least he didn't kill your daughter or whatever, and and then it goes a close up to him. And he's like, if they had killed her, you would be dead. Because <laughs> he's the tough guy. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the guy who's like the passenger pigeon that died out in nineteen fourteen. There can't be passenger carrier pigeons. pigeons. <laughs> he's, he's half deaf, so he's got to yell right. everything. Yeah, and then yeah. of course he he gets into the gets into the racism. Is like you know Indians and <laughs> same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I do love they start talking about ghost dog. Why do they call him ghost dog? It's like you know, it's because you know, you know what these black people are like. They just all have these like gangster names, you know. Yeah, like crazy horse and all that shit. And then it's like, yeah, call Big Angie and uh, you know, little t- Timmy Two Toes and everything. You know, it's like, yeah, that is exactly how ridiculous this, these guys. Yes, are. It's, it's actually beautiful. It's a beautiful little joke. It's like they have no idea how ridiculous they are, and they're here like perplexed by uh, a, a black person giving himself a you know a, a nickname. Like, yeah, <laughs> ghost, <laughs> what a ghost dog. Yeah, and at least you know, at least their nickname, at least, at least like ghost dog kind of works yeah whereas you know again we we you mentioned this the, the italians their their fucking nicknames they they almost never fit how they really are they're almost like <laughs> a, you know the total opposite you know <laughs> so right right yeah no uh and of course there is a dog in the film there is a you know yeah. runs into a dog and kind of like it's just kind of staring at him and i don't know it feels like there's something going on with the dog that i didn't Quite get you know what? Yeah, I kind of. I mean, you know, the movie's almost uh, two hours right at two. It's like an hour fifty-seven or something like that. You know, feels like they could have did another five minutes. I would have been fine with it. It's like something with that dog, you know, other than him staring at it. Yeah, like it. It feels like I mean, you know, and everything is sort of like a representation of Forrest Whitaker's character. And so when you have a character named Ghost Dog, and then a dog shows up who kind of has ghostly otherworldly properties, you think there's something parallel kind of going here. And maybe it's like, yeah, there's so much obvious, you know, symbolism in the mm-hmm. film. 
that maybe this just isn't quite, you know, kind of overt as that, you know. And at the very least, either Raymond or Perlene could have adopted the dog at the end, and you have a scene where like the dog's eating ice cream in the truck, or Perlene's sitting in the kitchen with the dog. Perlene, get that dog out of my kitchen, you know, like <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I I could go for that. That would that would be, you know. Jim Jeremy is bullshit. I just remade his movie, and it's way better. That's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Bullshit movie, man. You miss the dog. You can't. You can't give us two scenes with the dog and not three. That's the yeah. No, this this movie's great. I love it. It's, yeah, it, it is. It is very good. Sorry, I was kind of laughing at it earlier, but I think it's 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 meant to be laughed at in that. It is. Yeah. It's 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 both funny and just really really <laughs> cool. And I have I haven't watched enough of his movies in the nineties to like just to, to say like this is his best movie in the nineteen nineties, but. Uh, I think it's up there. I think it's close. Yeah, this is actually my uh, first actual Jarmusch film that I've oh, seen. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I would definitely love to uh, visit some more Jarmusch at some point. Um, but yeah, I've obviously been long aware of the name, and I thought I had seen a couple of films, but apparently, like, just never, like, never saw Coffee and Cigarettes. I think I saw bits and pieces of that one, but um, you know, so yeah, that's one you don't need to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, budget for this was two million. Uh, it managed to make nine point four million, so that's yeah. pretty goddamn good for the four Star Wars episode one. Just crushed everything. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that it made any money at all was actually kind of terrible, you know. A couple little trivia points here: Ghost Dog shoots Handsome Frank first in the stomach, then the chest, then the head. These shots follow the same pattern as seppuku, Japanese ritual suicide, in which the first cut with a sword or knife is made across the belly. Second cut up towards the sternum, and finally the suicide dips his head and is decapitated by his assistant. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And uh, like I said, uh, the scene for, in which uh, Ghost Dog shoots the mobster through the sink drain was taken from uh, Sijin uh, Suzuki's Branded to Kill from 1967, yeah. Yeah, which was a uh, Yakuza film. Uh, pretty good one, too, I'd say. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it. We'll have to check it out sometime. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I I've got nothing. Uh, How about Blu-ray? You got you 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 on the you on the DVD Blu-ray for this? What's the? Uh, I've got one? I've got a uh, artisan uh, DVD. I believe it's on Blu-ray now. I, I know it was yeah. uh, on Blu-ray in like region two and shit for a while, but I think there's a region one out now. This one's kind of difficult to find. I uh, kind of had to uh, source this one through some uh, not usually like a movie like this is just on streaming somewhere. It's like mm-hmm. three dollars until you just rent it or whatever. Um, even the DVDs, like a used DVD of this, is like twenty five or thirty dollars, and so it's kind of like one of those like, wow, that's you know, it's it's that's when it's like, well, this is becoming a lost film. This is becoming a lost film. It should yeah. be very good. It should not be, but uh, you know, it's just it's harder to come by than it than it should be. Um, um, it is. It is torrentable. I wouldn't know how to get a hold of that, but um, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a rights issue with the music because yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's almost always some like music rights issue or something like that, you know, where those where these things kind of end up that way, you know. So yeah, I'm sure <laughs> some like couple of sequels distributed and scratchy. They can't make a deal that, with Fox. <laughs> that also, I mean, yeah, it I could mean, very not- easily be that. It could very easily be that. Yeah, that's not even Fox anymore. That's fucking Disney. Like, yeah, it's uh, Disney. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, fuck, man. Uh, they're honestly, they're, Disney could sit on this and not ever let it show again. <laughs> they have that power at this point, right? So, because of thirty seconds of footage from a twenty-five-year-old episode of The Simpsons. Yep. Yeah. This so is, we're, this is the joy of having a uh, having a monopoly on our total media thing with my company. Yeah. Yeah. Please continue. Uh, so we're going back to the 1930s next episode. Yeah. yeah. Going uh, back to 1930. We're going to do animal crackers. Mm, Marx brothers. Uh, this will be fun for me because this will be probably the first, uh, Marx brothers film. Like I'll have watched all the way through. Like I've seen bits and pieces here and there over yeah. the years, but I think ditto. I think it's, it's the, the only, and in fact, I think the only, uh, bit of animal crackers I've ever really seen is the bit in, uh, Annie Hall. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. uh, that's a complicated legacy there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a that's not a context you want to see those in anymore. Like, no, not at all, not at all. Like, uh, <laughs> kind of problematic, but yeah, no, yeah. we're gonna do animal crackers. I think that'll be a good way to get back into this, and uh, then we'll be in um, 1931. And I swear we've got like, I think there are 20 films that we've put on the list between 1931 and 1934. We have a treasure trove. 
and they're all like masterpieces. So you know we're gonna have to <laughs> have to confuse a bit going forward. But um, but yeah, no, that's the plan. Hmm. So Daniel, tell people where we can find you on the interwebs. <clears throat> well, I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. If you want to follow me there, um, talk mostly about like political stuff and Nazis because I do another podcast, which is about Nazis because I track Nazis. Um, that's how I know all the things about Mishima and <laughs> Italian <laughs> fascism and Japanese fascism, etc. Is I know quite a bit about what these people do. Uh, you can learn about that at my other podcast. I don't speak German. I don't speak German at Lipset.com. I'll tell you more than you ever want to know about uh, what racists think and believe and do. Um, yeah, so do that. Yeah, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links. Join the Facebook group. Best way to get in touch with us, uh, give us movie recommendations, uh, tell us how good we're doing, how crap we're doing, whatever, you know. Um, it's pretty open for that. Jump on in. You know, not a lot happens on that group. It's a very small group. I mean, this is a very small podcast. Uh, everyone there is cool. And every once in a while, some neat stuff uh, shows up. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, get over there. Best way to get in contact with us at the very least. So that's yeah. uh, a great way that. to keep up with uh, the podcasts of our friends as well. You know, because yeah. A bunch of people kind of post their podcast feeds there. So if you want to kind of catch up with that and listen to other podcasts that are similar to this one. Uh, but better. Yeah, definitely better. <laughs> We're all right, but, you know, there's definitely way better out there. Yeah, but uh, until then, uh, next time, Animal Crackers. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. Bye. Right, cheers. Tonight, a lot of people going to suffer tonight. Cause the battle is getting hotter in this iration. It's a magician. A lot of people won't get no justice tonight. So a lot of people going to have to stand up and fight But remember to praise Jehovah And it will guide you in this iration It's
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>